0: So Pastor Dave asked me to step in for him today um, and give you the words of the Lord. And I don't know if you've noticed, quite a lot when, when preachers preach, um, they do something that's called a thematical preach, right? They take a theme or a topic and trace it throughout the Bible and then they share the word of God in that way, right? Today I figured, let's do something else, Something that I would like to do today is I'd like to go sequentially through something. I would like to go through the second book of Peter today. And what I would like to do is actually similar style of how they would have done it in the synagogues maybe. They read the word of God and then they teach upon this word of God, right? And instead of just jumping back and forth a whole bunch, trying to find similar themes throughout the whole Bible, we go through like what actually somebody has written Step by step, verse by verse, and see. Okay, how do they mean this in context? How do these verses link together? The thing that you need to know about Second Peter and many of the so-called epistles, or also called letters, are that they're letters. I don't know if you've received a letter recently. I know everything is digitally nowadays, but usually when you read a letter, you don't read just a verse in the middle, or like a sentence in the middle, and then another sentence somewhere else, and then you're done. No, you read the whole thing, right? There's a meaning from beginning to end, and there's some kind of connection, right? And that is important to understand when we read the epistles in the Bible as well. Actually, even more, whenever they would write it, they didn't write it as a casual letter as as we would nowadays. No, these were well-crafted letters where they took time to compose it and to get it all together. And then they gave this letter to somebody else, a messenger, that would have this letter, bring it to the destination, and this messenger was to perform this letter to the church. Because not everybody could read. So this this person was supposed to perform this whole letter to the church, and then it was passed along to other churches as well quite often, right? And the key here is that when the apostles wrote these letters, and they gave them to somebody to perform this letter. They would tell them, "Okay, put the emphasis on this, and f- f- make sure you you say this in this way." And so they gave them cues of how to perform these letters. So these letters were by no means just meant to be taken, verse like a single verse in the middle even though this is really enriching for our lives sometimes seeing verses i know we have many many of us have favorite verses in the bible but they become even stronger if we understand these verses in the context of the whole book and the book in the context of the whole bible do you agree with me yes so this is what i want to do do, do today and Really quickly, why is this important? First Timothy 4 says, "Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching." Colossians 4:16 says, "And when this letter has been read among you, you have uh, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read them uh, read the letter from Laodicea." You see, these letters were supposed to be also handed around, but they were supposed to be read as a whole. Do you see that? So this is what I want to do. And I don't have, I don't have any scriptures on the, on the screen today. I decided for today, let's go old school. And, and hell has it already over there? Grab your Bibles, either physically or on your phones. That is allowed, okay? I'm not uh, angry if you have your phones out. But everybody, grab your Bibles and go with me to 2 Peter 1. Or oh, Peter Oh, y'all would say it Peter isn't it funny when the Europeans try to imitate y'all's accents <laughs> first Becca now me y'all just getting everything today <laughs> okay so I'm, let me just start okay 2nd Peter 1 verse 1 this letter is from Simon Peter a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ I already want to stop I barely went this verse in I already want to stop who is this letter by? Simon Peter. Who is Simon Peter? Yes. A disciple, right? He was with Jesus. He has seen the acts of Jesus. He was called Simon, and Jesus called to them Peter, or in Greek, Petrus. Right? And then he identifies himself, like I'll say, a slave and an apostle of Christ Jesus. Here's something important to understand. When we... We take our identities because we are very individualistic in the West, right? We take our identities in the things that we do, right? The work and stuff like this. In their culture, their identity is the people that they have relationship with. That's the way they would say, I'm the son of this, the grandson of this, I'm in the tribe of this, and so on. They would they would introduce themselves but saying, I belong to these people, I belong to those people. And for Jews, they belong to the family of Abraham. Right? That's the main thing that they identify themselves with, right? They are these people. And with that obviously comes honor and responsibility. The honor that gets passed down by these big names, or by your father's name, or grandfather's name but also responsibility to live up to that name, right? So these cultures are very community-focused cultures. So Peter does the same thing. He introduces himself in the relationship to Jesus. He wants that people know him by Jesus. Not himself, but by Jesus. Not necessarily by Abraham, even though by proxy that is also true, but by Jesus. And he says, I'm a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I find it interesting that he says, Slave first and apostle second. Slave means that he does not have anything on his own. Everything that he owns in his own life all belongs to Jesus Christ, all belongs to his Lord. We have been talking about it a few weeks ago, right? And then he says, I'm an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ. I'm the one, I'm one of the people that was supposed to give the word of God out into the people, right? So this is his introduction. Next thing that might be interesting to know, who is he talking to? Good. Verse 2. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Who to, this, to people that have the same precious faith. So to Christians, right? To other believers, to other churches. And we can see later on in third Peter that, uh, no, 2 Peter 3 that he's probably talking to a similar group that he's talking in 1 Peter. If we just go a few verses back, and if you, if you're not know fast enough, I'm just going to do it really quickly. He says, "I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia." So a whole bunch of churches. In, in, in that Asia region, right? In the, I think it's close to Turkey and all of that, right? So to a whole group of these people. And what we need to know about these people at that time is that they started to get social pressures a lot. They were under the Roman Empire, so they had a lot of social pressures from the Roman Empire, saying, okay, so... Here's interesting to know. The Jews were not, they, they were legal. The Jewish religion, religion was legal in the Roman Empire. And because Christianity was still seen as a sect of the Jewish faith at that point, that was by proxy also still legal. So they were legal to perform the, their religious things, but they were pressurized by the, by the Roman people to live in their lifestyle, right? But then on the other hand, they are unlike the Jews, so actually, they're also pressured by the Jews saying, what are you doing? You're living differently than we would, we would live, right? You're doing things differently. Why are you doing this? Because of Jesus. So they had this social pressure coming down on both sides. And in First Peter, he was talking a lot about these things and how a Christian ought to conduct himself in these times, right? What is it supposed to look like to live as a Christian? And in Second Peter, he's probably talking to a similar group of people so we can have these similar things in, the, in our background. By the way, we're not going to get through the whole Second Peter today. I'm just going to say, I don't know if you noticed, we've gone through two verses. We're going to go as much as possible and see how far we get. But I want to encourage you, once we're done, read it at home, read it with other people, and try to... Dissected the way that we are doing it right now just to see how it enriches you. And I'm going to say at the very end i give a couple of cues of how it keeps going. So, he talked about, I'm writing to the people that have the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. That's one of the things that you'll start noticing over the next few verses is Everything we have has been given by God. Okay, everything. Without Jesus, we couldn't have the faith that we have right now. And Peter says this faith is precious. It's something that you want to keep hold on. I don't know what's precious to you in your life, right? But for Peter, his faith was precious. It was close. It was like something that he wants to hold off tight. And he says that these other people also, and to you as well, you, you hopefully have the same precious faith, right? And it was given through Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. He's not just our Savior, somebody that we want to be like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. No, he's our God. Or some other Bible has to say, our Lord, somebody that we want to put ourselves under, right? He's ruling us. Verse 2 May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord This is another big thing is knowledge As you will read through 2nd Peter you'll notice quite a lot It's a lot about knowledge What is this knowledge about The knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord I want, to keep, I want you to keep this in mind. Like He's going to talk about knowledge quite a bit. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living godly lives. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Again, this is a really rich verse, isn't it? You see this? A really rich verse by His divine power, by His godly power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything we need, we have. Everything we need to live a godly life, a life the way that God would be pleased with, we have through Him, through His power. He has given us through the Holy Spirit by replacing our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh, right? This is hopeful for me. It's like, I can live a godly life. This is awesome. Everything I need is given by God. How? By coming to know him. By getting to know him. The knowledge again, right? It's getting to know. I don't know, like, for those that are married, you know what I mean. Like, I'm married to Becca. It would be silly to say, we're married and that's fine, but I have no idea who she is. That would be silly, right? That would be absurd. And for me to not have the passion to get to know her every day more, that would be silly, right? Why would I do this? Why would I say, okay, I know you enough. I don't want to know more about you. No, of of course I want to get to know her more. And the same way, we want to get to know our Lord, Jesus Christ, more and more, right? We want to get to know him more. Because as we know him more, we fall more in love with him. We grow closer to him and we understand him. And we can receive more and more of this divine power into our lives. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Pastor Pastor Dave talks about it all the time. Don't just believe in God. Believe God. Believe the promises that he has given throughout all of the scriptures. Let me give some examples. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, verse 6. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 1, verse 18. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Ezekiel 36 verse 26. The Bible is packed full with promises of God that are so good. And what you notice already from these few verses, there's a lot from God's perspective, like a lot from God given, right? All of these things are from God. Faith is from God. These promises are from God. His divine power is from God. It's all from God. It's not from us. As much as we try to conjure up different things, we can't, <laughs> right? It's all from God. These are the promises that enable us, to enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corrupt, uh, corruption caused by human desires. These are the uh, these, these promises that God gives us enable us to leave our human desires back. I think everybody knows what we're talking about. All the things that we have in our lives that are the flesh that's trying to drag us to do wicked things, right? Selfish things things that are not honoring to God. We have these desires in our lives, but God wants to remove these desires and bit by bit renew us so that we can be more living in the spirit and less by our own human desires. That it created the world's corruption. It says, live in the divine nature that we can assimilate a similar nature to the nature of God. Doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound awesome? Verse 5, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. There it is again, knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. What he's saying here is, don't just rely on the faith that you already have. No, supplement to it. Add to it. Don't be satisfied with the faith that you already have. And how are we uh, to add to this faith? How are we supposed to supplement to it? With moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. Everyone can agree, can agree these are all good things. And as we add these things to our faith, like we, our faith can grow more and more. And our relationship to God can grow more and more. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says you will be fruitful, like your lives will show fruit in the kingdom of God. And he says the opposite. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed From the old sin. If we forget what God has done for us, if we forget the huge price that he paid, it was God that died on the cross. Not just a mere human, a God that died on the cross for us, right? That is a massive price that he paid for us. And if we forget this. Of course, we will not develop our faith anymore, right? Of course, we will then be short-sighted and we just start thinking more about ourselves. But as we remind ourselves the huge and amazing and precious price that has been paid for our sake, I don't know about you, but my heart wants to grow in my faith. I want to grow closer to God. I want to grow in my knowledge and intimacy to Him, right? Right? Here's the key thing to say that I want to point out. Just because we are not doing these things, it doesn't mean that we are not saved. But he is saying, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. So the point is not that if you don't do it, you're not saved. The point is if you don't do it, you might fall away. It's a danger it's a danger. There's somebody that I, that's very close to me that used to be a believer, that used to love God with all his heart. Not today anymore. Not today anymore, and it hurts my heart. At some point in their life, they fell away, deciding this is not worth it because they didn't see the relationship aspect. They didn't see that they needed to get to know God better, to understand the truth and instead they, were, they, they had lies in their head about, about the faith and fell away. And this hurts my heart. So this is, this is a warning of Peter, right? He says, Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and, and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we, if we keep on it, keep adding to our faith these things... We will see Jesus for ourselves. We will see him. Therefore, I always want to remind you, we are at verse 12, if somebody got lost. Therefore, I will always remind you about the things, even though you've already known them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you, as long as I live for our, God, our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthy, earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. I, I call this the, Peter's final words, this sermon, because this is probably the last letter that we know of from Peter, written to these people, because he was shortly after taken And I find this so incredible, like the way that he says this. Even though he knows that they are with God, he wants to remind them. Even though he knows that they have the same precious faith as he has, he wanted to remind them of these things. Why? Why did he want to do that if he's about to die? Because he doesn't want them to fall away. He knows he doesn't have a lot more of time. If he would stay on, he could deal with false teachings. He could deal with all of these things that can corrupt the church. But he he doesn't have this time anymore. So he's saying it now as the last opportunity that he has. Because these people are important to him. He doesn't want to waste his time. He doesn't want to waste his opportunity. And I don't want to do that either. I don't want that we, that we take for granted the faith that we have. I don't want to, that we take for granted what Jesus has done for us. I want that we keep reminding ourselves and each other of this, the way that Peter has done it, right? Reminding ourselves so that we can grow in our relationship to one another and to Jesus Christ. Now Peter is doing something really clever. In the next few verses, Peter is setting something up. He's setting up an argument so that what he's going to say afterwards um, makes more sense. For us, if we just read it, those two things are completely unconnected we're going to dissect it, okay? We're going to go slowly through it to understand why these two things are connected, okay? So verse 16, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is a setup, okay? He's, he's trying to make some kind of proof that he has seen these things and these kind of seem kind of obscure. It's like, what has he seen? God has said something to Jesus and there was a holy mountain. What could that be? What could that be? Transfiguration! He's, re- he's linking to the story of the transfiguration, right? Let's, let's go back. Let's go to Mark 9, really briefly, and read the story and try to figure out what he's talking about. Starting with verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. So there's Peter. Peter was there, right? And led them up on a high mountain. Okay, that would work. That, that links to be alone. As the man watched Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with him. This fits, right? This fits. So he's linking to this story, saying... We have witnessed this. Why is it important for him to say we have witnessed this? Because that means it gives them credibility. And because all the other disciples witnessed this too, the people at that time to whom he wrote the letter, they could have still checked with the other disciples. They could have still inquired, it's like, is all of these things true? And these letters would not have spread the same amount as they spread if these things were untrue. If these things were untrue, people would have dismissed these letters. And we would have not the vast amount of historical evidence for these things to happen. That is why it's so crucial that they were, like historically, they were written down shortly after Jesus was dead. In the lifetime of disciples. So all of these things can be confirmed and talked about, right? And he's making this point here that he has seen this happened, And what is so important about the Transfiguration? The important thing about the Transfiguration, God is giving his approval over Jesus and those also over the disciples and the words that Jesus spoke. God is giving his approval on Moses and Elijah as well, right? Why is this important? Because now he's going to keep going verse 19, because of that experience we have been, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. That would have not made sense with what you just said if we didn't know what story he was talking about. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like lamp shining in the dark, until the day dawns in the, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Now these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So what he's doing here, he is validating the prophets, the scriptures that they were reading. There were many Christians in these locations and I bet there were both Jewish but probably also a lot of non-Jewish Christians. And the non-Jewish Christians would have nothing, like they would have no understanding of the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible. I don't know if you noticed, but the Old Testament is the Jewish Bible, right? And the, the reason why they, 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 it's interesting that they focus on Moses and Elijah, because Moses represents the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, also called the Torah, or Torah in, uh, for the Jewish Bible, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. The Jewish Bible, they usually split it up between the law, the Pentateuch, the prophets, and all writings. And usually if somebody says what has been written in the law and the prophets, they actually mean the whole thing. They also mean the other writings as well. It's almost like a shortcut that they say, right? So whenever we see both the law and the prophets represented, we know we, we, we ought to take the whole of the Bible serious, right? the whole of the Old Testament and for us also the whole of the New Testament. Why is he saying this is important? He's saying for us it's important to understand these things, to learn more on these things, to grow on these things, to study these things, to get to know who our Lord Jesus Christ is because Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. <laughs> we are Christians because of Jesus, but Jesus was a Jew. He lived and grew up in a culture where they were founding everything on the Old Testament, Everything he taught from was from the Old Testament. He gave interpretations of the Old Testament and laid it out so that people could understand it. So if we want to get to know our Lord Jesus Christ better... Let's not just drop it away. There are some Christians that say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. All we need is the New Testament. But if we want to truly understand it, it starts with Matthew. Matthew is a really rich book that has a lot of references to the Old Testament. That is probably why it's the first book in the New Testament, because it's linking all the Old Testament stuff to the new one, right? But it's saying for us to grow closer. This is why it's so important for us as gathering Church to do Bible studies, that's why we talk so often about Bible studies that we're doing. We're starting up uh, our men's Bible study again, our women's Bible study. We have another Bible study led by somebody in the congregation. I don't, Mark? Yes. Um, and and like, and then we're doing the Alpha study as well. So we're doing a whole bunch of Bible studies, and we encourage more. We encourage more Bible studies because we want to grow in the Word of God. We want to grow together, encourage each other, exhort one another, right? That is what Peter is saying. This is Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1. We just went through the first chapter. Christmas. Woo! <laughs> There's two more chapters. 2 Peter, 2, uh, 2 Peter is fairly short. Not the shortest, but fairly short on the New Testament. The second chapter gives us a hint why he's saying these things, and the third chapter as well. But the third chapter also has quite a bit of hope connected to this, because here's the link. He just said as the last in the last verse here. By the way, for him there were not verses, right? He didn't write little numbers next to each. That's something that we, the church invented to make it easier for people to find the passages, right? So for him, it was just one going letter. Like, there's, like for him, there's no pause of thought between the last verse of chapter one and the first verse of chapter two. They're usually very hard connected. So not those prophets. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. That was the last verse, right? The last sentence. But then he says, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there were, will be false teachers among you. And this is now the point. He's now warning, and the whole second chapter is full of this. He's warning of false teachers. The reason why it's important for us to be secure, have a secure footing in the scripture, is because false teachers will try to tell us lies, and we will not be able to differentiate them if we have no understanding of what the Bible actually says people will try to teach things that are trying to swerve one way or the other way and we will have no idea if these things are true or not if we're not deeply rooted in the word of god right they will cleverly teach destructive heresy and even deny the master who who bought them in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves Many will follow their evil teaching in shameful immorality. And because of these teachings, teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and the destruction will not be delayed. There's a bit of hope here that he says, For God did not spare even the angel... Oh, sorry, the, the hope a second. So he says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness, where they are all being held unto the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except Noah, here's some of the hope, and the seven other families, Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them examples of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot's out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immoralities of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. This is hopeful, right? Even when there's wickedness going around us, even if there's so much sinful behavior going on around us, if we stick to close, close to God, He will rescue us. He will protect us. Does' it mean we will not see any pain? Does it mean we will not see any like harm? No, it doesn't mean that. But He's going to protect us, our souls, our lives, right? Ultimately, we will be with God one way or the other. And we will not have to face the same judgment and destruction that the people that just want to go over their own selfish desires. Right? This is hopeful. This is awesome. I want to finish up because the time is running out, but the rest of the second chapter talks more about false teachers and false prophets. And, it, and, and something that I encourage you is try to see, because the Bible, is, the New Testament is actually full of it. Actually, the Old Testament is full of all prophets, false prophets, right? Try to see if you find patterns as you see these different Bible verses. Like, what are some hints, what, how, what does a false prophet look like? How do I know if somebody's a false prophet or not? This is a really important thing for us to kind of understand, right? This is something I want to encourage you. Um, One clue, it talks a lot about their own shameful desires. Like, they will teach immoral things, right? Then, in... 2 Peter 3, I'm just going to give a really brief about what it is about, so when you study this and when you read this and talk with one another, with your neighbors about it, that maybe you can understand the time better. In 2 in, in Peter 3, he will talk about the coming of the Lord, that one day he will come to rescue us, but he is also talking about that people will scoff and laugh at us because Jesus hasn't come yet. People will laugh at us and be like, who are you? Like, Jesus, like, he's never coming back. Like, it has been 2,000 years. Now he's not coming back, right? Probably, like, like, it's like 2022 right now. Like, it's, it's getting close to the time where Jesus was actually 30, like, when Jesus was here exactly 2,000 years ago. That's probably where we're going to hear a lot of people be like, oh, Jesus is coming back. He might be, he might not. We don't know. The Bible says he's going to come like, like a thief in the night. We don't know when God is coming back. We should always be ready, but we don't know when he's coming back, right? There will be probably a lot of talk, though, around that time. we like, okay, the Lord is coming back. <laughs> but then afterwards, people were going to laugh. It's like, see, God didn't come back. It's like, who are you? It's like, But Peter is saying, God's time doesn't work the same like our time works. For God's one day, well, God's one day is like a thousand years for us, right? So for him, like it's not a long time at all. It's like a blink of an eye of what has happened so far, right? But he says he's patient for our sake. That's what Second Peter 3 is about, that he's patient for our sake so that as many people as possible can get to know him. He finishes off 2 Peter 3 with this. You already know these things, dear friends. Again, he's talking to the people that already know it, but he wants to remind them. So be on guard, that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. It's a warning. Don't lose your secure footing. Don't lose your faith. Rather, you must grow in grace and knowledge of Lord and, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, our knowledge, our intimate, like our getting to know him, right? The whole of Second Peter is about it. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Father, I want to thank you so much that you're a good God that wants to rescue us, that you're a good God that is for us and that wants to warn us, that wants to keep us, God. And I pray that our desire to get to know you, God, will grow every day. That we want to get to know you more and more. That we will want to understand who you are, God. Who you were both here on earth as you are in heaven, God. That we get to grow closer to one another as we study your word, God. So that we will not fall away, but uh, that we have a secure footing with you. That our faith will not grow weaker, but stronger, God. That we will not go away, but come towards you, God. I pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.